season and we really do appreciate their efforts. Let's turn directly to the Word, shall we? The Gospel of Luke, the first chapter. Two questions are asked there. As a matter of fact, I would like for us to share some moments surrounding three questions at Christmas. And because of the familiarity of this portion of the word, we'll not need to establish so much of the background, but deal specifically with just the questions that are asked. Verse 18 of Luke 1, Zacharias said unto the angel, Whereby shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife well stricken in years. And the angel answered and said unto him. Now let's drift down the text till we come to verse 34. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her. And then we'll look later in the Gospel of Matthew, the second chapter, where the men from the east questioned and said, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? Now let's take a minute just to bring our thoughts together, shall we? Father, in the name of Jesus, we purposely bring thoughts into captivity now and give honor and respect to your word. This we treasure above everything else, for in it is direction for life. And I pray especially for the anointing of your spirit to be here with us now. For we cannot really receive apart from him truth contained in the word. So I pray for a touch upon each of us now that we might profit from this time of consideration. That we would leave this service with the fresh impact of the Word of God upon us. Minister grace to everyone here, and we'll give you praise for it now. In Jesus' name we ask this. And everybody said, Amen. Now you're, you're going to need to listen very quickly this morning because time is of the essence. And considering these questions, Questions in Scripture have great depth of significance. Answers to the questions are of tremendous importance to us today. I wonder if any of us in this room haven't at one time or another questioned God or questioned His Word, how can this be, or why doesn't this happen? 
And maybe you're here this morning in this service with a question mark in your spirit saying, what is this all about? Who are these people? Why do they worship the way they do? I've never seen anything like this before. And perhaps this service has been a bit uncomfortable for you because you have never really been a part of this type of free and open worship service. There have been times that we have perhaps questioned God or questioned his word. And maybe I'm speaking to someone who's been saved a long time and this type of worship is all too familiar to you. And yet you have come to a crisis, you've come to a circumstance in your life where you begin to ask, how can this be? Why is this happening? And I'm persuaded that Christmas time is a time that God answers questions. That he provides answers to the most difficult questions of life. And when we read, as I reread this text again, I was impressed with the questions that the people asked. And I trust that today, as you have an honest doubt, you will discover that God always, always ministers to honest doubt. Unbelief is a different story. Unbelief says, I'm not going to be persuaded. My mind is set. I've already made up my mind. Don't confuse me with the facts. And it doesn't matter how much evidence you present, I'm not really going to change my mind. But there are those who question, who have a sincere question, how can this be? And God always answers sincere doubt. Nothing wrong with doubts. I believe they're healthy. If they enable us to really come to God and come to grips and wanting to know the answer to those dilemmas and those circumstances and those questions that we have. Thomas had some doubts. He wasn't there when Jesus appeared to the others. And he said, I don't believe this. I need more evidence. I need to put my hand in the nail print of his hand and my hand in his side and I need to see for myself. I think there's something good about that. I think we need to ask some questions. And those questions that we ask really reveal something about us. First one was asked by a preacher had been a preacher for a long time, a priest in Israel, senior citizen, but the angel appeared to him as he was performing his ministry in the temple. And there was a promise given to him. Earlier in the text, verse 13, the angel said, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard. Thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. Thou shalt have joy and gladness. Many shall rejoice at his birth, for he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and he shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. Many of the children of Israel shall be turned to the Lord their God. 
He shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and disobedient to the wisdom of the just and to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Zacharias said to the angel, How can this be? How will I know this is possible? For I am an old man and my wife well stricken in years. I'm just too old to change. How can it be possible? I've been this way too long. My wife and I have been this way for so long. We can't change now. All the thrilling message of Christmas is... God can change senior citizens. When it seems impossible, and they've been this way for so long, and you say, preacher, that may be all right for the youngsters, but, you know, I go back, and the traditions go back in my family history to the roots of the family tree, and really, I can't see changing at this point. You know, what's the difference anyway? But the angel who spoke answered the question. Hallelujah. Now it is impossible for Zacharias. What had been promised and prophesied in the word, physically speaking and looking through natural eyes, was an impossibility. And it wasn't possible for them to change. I'm too old. I can't change. But if Christmas means anything to us, it means that God can come upon the situation and in an instant, he can do supernaturally what could never be done naturally. Hallelujah. I remember when I was a young teenager going with my father to my grandparents' house, not just at holidays, but almost weekly. And uh, my father was just filled with the Spirit and loved Jesus with all of his heart and he wanted to save the world. And he wanted to start in Jerusalem. He wanted to start with his own mom and dad and brothers and sisters. And invariably, when we would go, he would preach to them. And they were elderly. They were resisting. They didn't want to hear what he was saying. And usually, out of his frustration, there, there would be a heated discussion. Because whenever there's resistance, there's usually heat. More heat than light. And looking back, you know, he understood that later. But they resisted. They didn't want to hear it. Oh, we've been this way, this brand all of our lives, and we're going to die this brand. How many have heard that before? How many know you're not saved because your particular brand? <laughs> Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And that was the truth my dad kept talking to them. Palm Sunday, or rather Good Friday about 25 years ago, the Lord saw fit to take my father to the reward he had waiting for him. He never saw the fruit of the seed that he had planted. 
And I couldn't visualize in my mind this elderly gentleman with a pipe in the rocker ever coming to know Jesus Christ. I couldn't visualize him a born-again believer. I couldn't visualize my grandmother saved. But you know, several years ago, I got a call from my mom and said, you'll never believe this, but your Aunt Marie has been born again. She was the youngest of the family and had my, mother's, my grandmother's heartstrings. When she came home and shared her experience of the change that Jesus had made in her life, her mom broke, gave her heart to Jesus Christ. And it was through grandma that granddad came to know Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. And they're both around the throne this morning living illustrations of what Zechariah teaches Oh, I'm too old to change. How can it be possible? I am old and my wife is stricken in years. How is it possible? I can't change at this stage of my life. Christmas says, yes, you can. Physically, no, but spiritually, yes. God can in an instant of time transform our lives and that which was dead make alive. That which was lost can be found. Hallelujah. If you're praying for a mom or a dad or someone in their senior years, don't give up. If you're witnessing to someone, this Christmas season tells you something. It says this never too late. God can work miracles. God who changed this natural condition of Zechariah and produced through him John the Baptist to prepare the way of the Lord is still in our midst this morning. He's still able to do what he did. I circled verse 24 in my Bible and it says, And after those days Elizabeth conceived and hid herself five months saying, The Lord hath dealt with me in the days hallelujah the lord hath dealt with me in the days wherein he looked on me hallelujah god answered the question how can i change now you can't but he can the same angel visited a teenager Gabriel came to Mary and said to her, you're going to bear a child and his name should be called Jesus. Verse 32, he shall be great, shall be called the son of the highest and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. He shall reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there shall be no end. And Mary said, but I'm just a young person how is it possible, seeing that I don't have what I need? I don't have a husband. I don't have what I need to be able to see this fulfilled. But the angel answered her. Hallelujah. You may be here this morning feeling God's hand upon your heart or your life, and you say, how can this be? I don't have what I need. Christmas tells us something. God supernaturally supplies to us 
what we don't have naturally. God supernaturally equips us for whatever he challenges us to do. Every promise of God, every command of God carries with it dynamic to accomplish the purpose. For it is God who is at work in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. And never forget the fact that it was impossible for Mary. She asked a genuine question. Genuine question. How can this be seeing that I know not a man? But the angel answered her. The Holy Ghost. Amen? We could almost stop right there. That's the answer. The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee. The power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which is born of thee shall be called the Son of God. I really have nothing but disdain for the liberal theologian and for the pseudo-intellectuals who challenge this portion of the word and say, well, I'm not quite sure that this was a virgin, that the word there is Alma, and that could be translated young woman. What's the difference? What's the difference? Because she said out of her own mouth, seeing that I know not a man, she confessed herself to God to be a virgin. And the scripture, just a few verses later, says, and that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. You don't have to just isolate one word and try to destroy the virgin birth by isolating one word. Read the rest of the chapter. It's eminently clear. If you want to be intellectually credible, read the rest of the chapter. It's clear the Holy Spirit is giving to us a sign this shall be a sign unto you. A virgin shall conceive and bear a son. There would be no supernatural sign if just a young woman bore a son. How intelligent do you need to know or need to be to know that there needed to be something supernatural about it to be a sign? You see, it's clear if you want, to, want it to be clear. It's muddy if you want to make it muddy. To me, it's clear. Virgin, young woman, doesn't matter how you translate Alma to me, the rest of the chapter gives us plenty of clarity as to what took place. Jesus born supernaturally of a virgin. How can this be seeing I know not a man? How can I do this? How is this possible? I'm too young. I don't have what I need. I don't have a husband. About three quarters of a century ago, a young lady by the name of Lillian, raised in North Carolina. Her mother was a graduate of Vassar. She had been given advantages but she knew Jesus Christ as her Savior and God began to deal with her heart about the continent of Africa 23 years of age 
engaged to a wonderful young man. Ten days before her wedding was to take place, there was a time of complete surrendering to God and the Lord impressing upon her that he was calling her to do service for him in Africa. When she approached her family, they said, you're crazy. I don't think this is something that, that you ought to do. How are you going to get there? But she felt so strongly that this is what God had a purpose for her life. She called her fiancé and said, Tom, I want you to meet me down by a certain bridge and there's something that we need to discuss. As she shared with him her heart, she said, you're a wonderful young man. I know you love God with all of your heart and I love you deeply, but my call from God supersedes anything else. And she canceled the wedding just days before. Family thought she was crazy. Said, how, how are you going to get there? How can this be, Lord, seeing I don't have what I need? There was a missionary from Egypt that she came in contact with, and as they were sitting, having a meal, this missionary was impressed with this 23-year-old young girl, and as she shared with him how she felt God had called her to, to Africa. He began to ask her questions and said, how much money do you have? And she said, I have $10. He said, I think you should stay home. <laughs> you don't have what you need. She said, but you don't understand, God called me, and if he called me, he'll supply. He was so impressed with her response that he said, why don't you come with me? to Oshawa, Egypt. And as she realized that Egypt was a part of the... And as she realized that Egypt was a part of the continent of Africa, she said, yes, I'll go. He provided passage for her, for her on a boat and $100. Now, she didn't have any missions organization behind her. She had no denomination behind her. But she left knowing that God had spoken to her heart. Just a few hours on board the ship, she opened her Bible and began to read from Acts chapter 7, verse 34, these words, I have seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt, and I have heard their groanings, and I am come down to deliver them. Now come, and I will send thee into Egypt. She closed her Bible with confidence, knowing that she was in the perfect will of God. 
She was only there in Egypt a few months when one night she was called to a little mud hut where she found a mother that was very sick, near death, a baby there that was malnourished and dirty. The clothes had been stitched onto its body, hadn't been changed for a long time. She had no milk to give the baby. There was a little bit of milk in a container that was sour and rancid that the baby was trying to drink. And in her dying gesture, she gave that baby into Lillian's arms and said, Take this child and love it and raise it for me. And watched that young mother slip out into eternity and took the baby home with her began to wash and feed it with an eyedropper. That baby, for ten days, did nothing but cry. The missionary said, we can't stand this. You're going to have to give that child back. You're going to have to give it to an Egyptian, someone who can take care of it. We just can't continue to live this way. She said, but you don't understand. God gave me this child, and I must raise it for him. He said, well, you're going to have to leave. You'll have to find yourself another place. We cannot live like this. So she took that child, a single American girl in the midst of an Arab country, found a home where she could rent, and God began to send her children. And who would know that for the next 75 years, Lillian Trasher would take care and raise 20,000 Egyptian children and see them one to the Lord Jesus Christ because God had called a young girl. And she could have said, God, how can it be possible? I don't have what I need. But I'm telling you, we can't read this chapter. We cannot celebrate Christmas and not know that God is able to provide for us if he has called us. He can equip us to do what he asks to do. A soldier never goes to war at his own expense, but is provided for by his government. God's work done God's way will never lack God's resources. How is this possible? I don't have what I need. How about you this morning? Maybe you're saying the same thing. I don't have what I need. If Christmas means anything by looking at Mary's life, in the natural it was true, but in the spiritual it was not true. God supernaturally made it possible. Hallelujah. Do you believe he can do it again? He can do it again. Not just with Lillian Trasher, and many of you ladies will be getting a letter in just a few days, and uh, in there will be a project for that specific orphanage in Egypt, and I encourage you to respond, and I'm sure you'll be a blessing to them. Now, in the book of Matthew, we just need to take a moment I'm not going to be able to finish this thought, I know. But I want to just briefly 
touch this question. Matthew 2, verse 1. When Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from, from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? That's a good question. And as I meditated on this particular theme, I thought of the great questions of Scripture. The day of Pentecost, what mean, what meaneth this thing? What does this mean? When Saul was smitten from his horse and cried out, Who art thou, Lord, and what do you want me to do? So many important questions. Where is he, born king? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. I think there's real wisdom here. Wisdom to seek God, worship God, present to God. I think it's significant that the Holy Spirit identifies them as wise men. It's not some writer of a Christmas pageant that said, well, let's call these men wise men. The Holy Spirit called them wise men. There is wisdom demonstrated not just from earthly learning, but from important principles that cannot be discovered by anything except divine revelation. There is an earthly wisdom that is sensual and devilish, but there is a heavenly wisdom that comes down from God that is first pure and peaceable and easy to be entreated without partiality, without hypocrisy. That's the kind of wisdom we're talking about. There is a wisdom that can be generated by man, but there is a wisdom that can only come down from God, and it's ours for the asking. Amen? He said, if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God who gives liberally to all men and would upbraid not. Jeremiah 4.22, make a note of that verse, says, For my people are foolish. They have not known me, they have none understanding. They are wise, but wise to do evil, but to do good they have no knowledge. They are wise to do evil, but to do good they have no understanding. General Omar Bradley has made this statement, and I quote, We're living in a time when our achievement our knowledge of science has gone beyond our power to control it. We have too many men of science and too few men of God. We have brought about brilliance without wisdom, power without conscience, produced nuclear giants and spiritual pygmies. And I, I don't believe I would have to labor the point for you to agree that the world by wisdom knew not God, and the wisdom of this world is foolishness to God. When you draw the bottom line and add it all up, it doesn't amount to much. 
and the essence of changing humanity. Men are waxing worse and worse, and they are wise to do evil, but to do good they have no knowledge. That wisdom comes from above. That wisdom comes from people who want to seek to find Jesus Christ and to worship him. To know who he is, born to be the king. Born to rule in righteousness and in peace. Individually and collectively. We need to worship him. That's probably the wisest thing we can do. The wisest thing we can do is seek Jesus and worship Jesus. And I think that ought to be a high priority for us in our season that we're in the midst of. Seek the Lord. Worship the Lord. And uh, that's just really a, a combination word that means worship. And personally and collectively, if you show me your worship habits, I'll tell you how much God's worth to you. Think about it. How valuable he is to you. How essential, how important God is to you. Your worth of God is determined by your worship. That's exactly what these men were demonstrating. They felt he was worth the effort, the distance, the difficulties, the discomfort, the danger that they had to go through from Babylon through the Syrian desert 300 miles to Bethlehem on Camelback. You think you came a long way to church this morning? But they wanted discover who Jesus was. Where is he that we might worship him? And you have to overcome some difficulties to worship the Lord. I did. I was here this morning before the sun was up. And I can tell you something. It seemed like I had just shut my eyes when that alarm went off this morning. I thought it can't be. But it was. I had a hard time getting that bed off my back. <laughs> Made my way into the bathroom, put my knee on that toothpaste. Got on my way. Say, oh, you had to come. It's your job. I'd like to think I would still come if it wasn't my job. want to know where is he that is born king that I might worship him. And we need to overcome some difficulties and uh, discomfort sometimes to worship the Lord. I believe sometimes we are part of the cult of the comfortable. Temperature has to be just right. We like padding on the pews. Don't anybody sit in my place.
but we want to know who's the king. Amen? Come to worship the king. He is indeed worthy of our praise. Would we do it if there were danger involved in worshiping Jesus? Would that keep us away? Think about it. It says, in the days of Herod the king. If you know anything at all about the history of Herod, he was the most murderous king of history. He murdered his mother, his three sons, his wife, and pickled her in honey. I said in the early service, that gives a new dimension to calling her honey. He was so hated that when he got sick and was confined to bed, that he arrested some of the most prominent citizens in the community and put them in jail with the instructions, the minute I die, execute them. I don't want there to be no weeping when I die. He wanted to be sure there would be some tears shed at his passing. He was so hated. He was the one who gave the order to slay all of the children up to two years of age. And think of these men coming to Herod to say, where is he that should be sitting on the throne you're occupying? You're really not the king. There is a king that has been born to take your place. You, you are a usurper. You don't belong there. You shouldn't be the ruler. Where is he who should be the ruler here? Now that takes some courage. If it meant we might die, do we still want to know where the king is? If it meant difficulty, discomfort, or danger, would we still celebrate Christmas? Would we still worship the king? Oh God, help us to worship him regardless of what it costs, no matter how far we have to travel, no matter how uncomfortable it might be, no matter how much danger there might be involved, he's still the king. He still deserves to be worshipped. Where is he? Is that the question you're asking? I want to worship him. Father, I pray these thoughts would help us. Lord, genuinely minister to us this morning. Some who perhaps have questioned God, who have circumstances who say, I don't understand this. I don't know what's going on. How can it be possible? I'm too old to change now. I've been this way for so long. My family have been this way for so long. How can it be possible? And in the natural, it isn't possible. But God by the Holy Spirit can make it possible. That young person or others who are here this morning like Mary say, I don't have what I need. I don't even have a husband. How can I have a child? I don't have what it takes. The same Holy Spirit that came upon her can come upon us in response to our question. Provide us the answer miraculously 
God, I, I pray that each one of us will ask what the wise men was inquiring. Where is he, born king, that I might worship him? Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. 